0: Welcome to the Arthroscopy Journal Podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Tucker from the Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and founding editor of the podcast. Today, we continue the special series featuring selected articles from our open access online companion journal, Arthroscopy, Sports Medicine, and Rehabilitation, focusing on the rehabilitation aspects of patient care and orthopedics. Today, we are discussing rehabilitation and return to sport of the female athlete. I'm excited and honored to be joined for today's episode by Drs. Mary Mulcahy and Ariana Janakos. Dr. Mulcahy is a sports medicine surgeon and associate professor at Tulane University, where she holds a number of positions to include assistant dean for faculty affairs, assistant program director and director of the women's sports medicine program. Additionally, and perhaps most notably, she's also the recently appointed newest president of the Ruth Jackson Orthopedic Society. Dr. Janakos is a foot and ankle orthopedic surgery fellow at Harvard Massachusetts General Hospital. She's currently completing her PhD in gender studies in foot and ankle surgery at the University of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Drs. Janakos and Mulcahy were the lead and senior authors on the article titled Rehabilitation and Return to Sport of Female Athletes, which was published in the January 2022 issue of ASMAR. Their co-authors include Adam Abdelmonum and Gino Kirkoffs. Ariana and Mary, congratulations on your work and welcome to the podcast.
1: Great, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, we're really honored to be here and excited to have this opportunity to talk to you about this article.
0: As you highlighted in your article, the increase in female sports participation has unfortunately been accompanied by an increase in injury rates. Studies have shown that differences between male and female athletes exist and can contribute to sex-specific outcomes differences in both injury prevention and post-operative rehabilitation. Before we dive into the finer details of your article, can you give us some background on the larger topic of the female athlete as a whole and the importance of understanding the considerations for injury prevention and rehabilitation that are specific to the female athlete?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So female, female participation in sports has increased significantly since the passing of Title IX in 1972. And with that, we actually have seen a huge increase in the rate of injuries in our female athletes. We're well aware that some injuries are much more common or are completely unique to female athletes, and that's why it's so important for us to take this into account when we're evaluating these patients. Along those lines, having a comprehensive interdisciplinary team approach, especially for our female athletes, is absolutely critical. And this often involves a collaboration and frequent communication between orthopedic sports medicine, primary care sports medicine, our athletic trainers, physical therapists, sports nutrition, sports psychology, and other fields, including OBGYN for our uh, female athletes.
0: Can you highlight the more specific primary differences between male and female athletes? You listed anatomic, biomechanical, hormonal, and psychological that are important for us to recognize and address when treating the female athlete and designing an injury prevention or post-operative rehab program.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really important point and and a great question. So there are a lot of anatomic differences, and speaking in kind of general terms, but comparing our male and female athletes, there are differences related to the alignment of joints, the the size and orientation of ligaments, the overall laxity, um, as well as numerous biomechanical factors, including neuromuscular control and landing patterns. We know in our female athletes there are hormonal fluctuations throughout the menstrual cycle, which have a huge impact on laxity and, and subsequent risk of injuries. And then there are psychological factors, including things like self-efficacy, locus of control, and fear of re-injury that have a significant impact on outcomes and return to play. Some of the other specific uh, factors for our female athletes, we know our female athletes have increased cue angle, they have dynamic knee valgus, quad dominance, and hamstring weakness when compared to male athletes, and those have a big impact, and I think we'll have the chance to talk about that a little bit more when we focus on the ACL.
0: Absolutely. In your article, you highlighted some of the injuries that are more common in female athletes as a result of these gender differences. Can you all touch on those for
1: us now? Yeah, for sure. Ariana. why don't you start here? Absolutely. I will
2: focus primarily speaking about um, ankle injuries, um, since that's more of my forte. But it's been pretty well documented in the literature that there's an increase in ankle ligament as laxity, which actually leads to an increase in ankle ligament sprains. Um, most of the time, people can recover from this with just regular physical therapy, a couple months of rehab. Um, but they can lead to uh, chronic ankle instability. And unfortunately, once again, our female athletes have a higher rate of sustaining chronic ankle instability that ultimately may require surgery. Uh, Other things to consider in the foot and ankle realm are metatarsal stress fractures, um, particularly as a result of overuse injury. Um, This is very common in a lot of our female athletes, including dancers, runners, um, just based on the different biomechanics uh, of the foot and ankle.
1: Yeah. And piggybacking off of that a little bit, um, the overuse injuries are, are definitely quite common in female athletes and stress fractures in particular. And along those lines, we really need to keep in mind this whole concept of relative energy deficiency in sport or what was previously known as the female athlete triad. And specifically, low energy availability and how that leads to irregular menses, which in turn leads to bone mineral density and can contribute to some of these injuries. So it's really important for us as orthopedic surgeons to be asking questions to try to get at that. And we may not be used to asking, it, but it's really important because we may be the first physician to see patients um, with these things, with stress pressures, et cetera. And there's more kind of behind the scenes. Um, Some of the other specific injuries uh, that we see more commonly in our female athletes, we know ACL tears are incredibly common, upwards of two to eight times more common in our female athletes than their male counterparts, and that's due to both modifiable and non-modifiable risk factors. And then patellofemoral pathology is probably about twice twice as common in our female athletes, and we know that these athletes are more likely to require surgery for patellar instability compared to their male counterparts. And and finally, with regards to traumatic shoulder instability, overall, that's more common in male athletes, but female athletes tend to present more commonly with multidirectional instability. And there are a lot of studies in the literature that demonstrate that female athletes have worse outcomes following management of shoulder instability. Uh, Given their increased ligamentous laxity that we see in these patients, we often have to consider incorporating additional tightening procedures like rotator interval interval closure or capsular shift, um, and we need to keep that in mind when we're treating these patients.
0: Wonderful summary. Obviously, there's more here than we could possibly cover in a podcast. So, I do encourage everyone who treats female athletes to continue to dive into this topic as you both are obviously just scratching the surface, but in a fairly uh, uh, concise way. So, thank you for at least introducing all these topics. So, let's drive on. Your overall approach to rehab was framed in the context of the idea of phases of rehabilitation which you specifically, <clears throat> excuse me, which you specifically broke down into three phases, can you review that for us?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we decided to talk a little bit about three phases of rehab, especially in our athletes, in order to get them back to their their sport, you know, safely and effectively. So the first stage involves restoring pre-injury joint range of motion, and this primarily includes exercises to improve both mobility and flexibility. The second stage is for us to restore strength. Um, And once both range of motion, mobility, flexibility, and strength are restored through all the different exercises that are out there, then the athlete can transition to more sport-specific training. And at that point, the, the therapists and the physicians can work together in order to adapt to what is really necessary for the specific return to sport, whether someone's returning to basketball or to trying to run marathons or to hockey. You know, all of this is taken into consideration so that this is sport-specific training so that they have a lower risk of injury going forward.
0: Great. I want to talk next about one of the Parsi article I really enjoyed which was where you discussed a number of rehabilitation aids and therapeutic modalities that were listed for both upper and lower extremities, including things such as cryotherapy, Theraguns, the Graston technique, BFR. I was hoping each of you could pick your one or two favorites or your most tried and true and share those with us. Ariana, could you go first?
2: So one of the things that I think is really interesting and that a lot of athletes actually provide a lot of positive feedback about is cryotherapy. And and this is a pretty well-established and widespread therapy that's used by all various types of athletes. Uh, And the main attempt is to treat soft tissue injuries by reducing post-training inflammation and pain. Um, There's various different topical methods that you can do using ice packs, ice towels, ice massages, and gel packs as well as whole body cryotherapy methods, including cold water and ice immersion. The other therapy that I think is really interesting that actually Dr. Mulcahy had recently written and published an article about is blood flow restriction therapy. And this is a little bit more of a novel technique often used in the athletic population once again. And, and this involves localized restriction of venous blood outflow from a specific portion of the body using an occlusive pressure dressing such as a tourniquet or an inflatable cuff that's placed at the proximal end of the extremity the restriction of venous outflow results in an anaerobic environment, which then promotes muscle hypertrophy hypertrophy, through cellular signaling and hormonal changes similar to those seen at higher intensity training with more resistance.
0: Okay, Mary, now let's hear about your go-to adjunct therapy modalities.
1: Yes, that was a great uh, overview by Ariana for cryotherapy and BFR. I'd say overall, like, Cryotherapy is definitely something that I commonly incorporate in my practice and encourage my patients and specifically athletes to use. There's local cryotherapy, which we are all very, very uh, used to um, and is used essentially after every practice and game, um, so incredibly common. And then with when we talk about cold water immersion, that also can be incredibly helpful. Some things to keep in mind, though, is that there are there's a limitation to the length of time that our athletes should be completely immersed, right? It should be no longer than 10 minutes because uh, after that, our athletes actually may suffer detrimental effects in terms of muscle power and activity. So just to keep that in mind. Um, but those are things that I Definitely commonly uh, emphasize to my patients and, and encourage them to incorporate. BFR, there is tons of incredible evidence in the literature, especially with regards to lower extremity injuries, specifically ACL reconstruction, and after uh, surgery for multiligamentous knee injuries, um, supporting the efficacy of BFR. Um, That being said, I would say it's not something that I incorporate for every single one of my patients, but I think there is a ton of data to support the benefit of this when you feel like it's most appropriate. Uh, And there's, you know, ongoing research with regards to upper extremity injuries. So I'd say stay tuned for all of that.
0: Absolutely. Fantastic discussion. I want to make sure that we dedicate enough attention to the specifics of the female-focused rehab. So I'd like to now dive into the details of the very popular topic of ACL injury and post-operative rehab. Studies have shown us, like you mentioned, Mary, that female athletes in high-risk sports, such as basketball or soccer, can sustain ACL injuries at two to eight-fold higher rates than males. Wow. First can you review for us the female factors that specifically predispose women athletes to ACL injury as compared to their male counterparts?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for that question. I think this is a really important topic uh, and something that's helpful for all of us as sports medicine surgeons to understand. So the factors, they're broken down largely into two groups or categories. One is non-modifiable and in that, importantly, are anatomic differences. So female athletes have an increased Q angle and there are also sex differences in knee geometry in terms of the size of the femoral notch. And additionally, uh, increased tibial slope and specifically posterior tibial slope and on the lateral side are all very important. I would say with regards to posterior tibial slope, that is not a unique risk factor for female athletes, but I mention it because it is just an important risk factor overall for our athletes in terms of um, increasing their risk for ACL tears. Other, The other main non-modifiable risk factor are the hormonal changes that happen throughout the menstrual cycle, and that absolutely puts our female athletes at higher risk. So There are many, many studies looking at this, and uh, they have found that it's really during the ovulatory phase where our female athletes are at highest risk of ACL tear, and Bearing that in mind, there are also studies looking at the potential benefits of having our female athletes take oral contraceptives to try to decrease that risk. And the studies are very promising. I mean, those are are newer in general, tend to have smaller numbers, uh, but they've shown really up to like a 20% reduction in risk of ACL tears, especially in our younger patients. So, kind of that 14 to 18, 19 year old age range where those medications can be hugely beneficial. So definitely something to keep in mind. Sometimes it may be difficult to kind of convince parents that their their young girls should be on oral contraceptives, but it does, these, these studies are very promising and, and show that it could have an impact in terms of decreasing risk. The other category are the modifiable risk factors. And so these are the things that we can change, right? This is what we focus on, especially in our injury prevention programs. And within this, we're referring to neuromuscular factors. So female athletes have quad dominant, uh, a quad dominant deceleration pattern, which means that as female athletes slow down, the quads are activated, but that in turn pulls the tibia anteriorly because that's what the quads do. And the female athletes, unfortunately, also have weak hamstrings, so the hamstrings are unable to counteract that pull of the quadriceps, Uh, and so both of those things put our female athletes at risk for ACL tears. And then biomechanical factors are also important, so this refers to the increased knee abduction moment, like landing in valgus, kind of that knock-kneed position, and also landing with stiff hips and stiff knees. Fortunately, though, these are things that we can address. This is what our injury prevention programs focus on. And uh, the best time to address them is before our female athletes go through puberty. So ideally, sort of during that middle school phase uh, where we can actually have the biggest impact and before the kind of bad habits are developed or, you know, this is what female athletes naturally do. We want to correct that um, because we have the ability to do that. And it has a significant impact in terms of decreasing the risk of ACL tears.
0: That's a fantastic Summary. Thanks. I mean, that's the reason we do the podcast to get this kind of information out there, cutting edge, um, both information on injury incidences and also potential interventions. So um, that was fantastic. Thanks, Mary. Okay. So now we know the factors at play for female athletes. And as my favorite childhood cartoon character, G.I. Joe would say at the end of every episode, knowing is half the battle. So what approaches have been developed to address these factors to optimize the prevention of female athlete injuries as well as post operative rehab and return to sport.
2: This is a really great question, and and obviously there's been a lot that's been done so far in the literature to determine, you know, the best things for our female athletes to do during their rehab phases. But I think, you know, Mary summarized um, some really critical points as far as knowing what to address, you know, while you're trying to develop a training program. So, you know, structurally, we do know that there's differences between men and women. It's been well documented. You know, there's greater static external knee rotation alignment, greater active hip internal rotation alignment. Uh, increased hip and pelvic widths, um, and all of this contributes to as Mary said, an increased genu valgum and this knock knee um, type of landing mechanic that causes you know, female athletes in particular to be at higher rates of tearing their ACL. Um, But this also translates down into, you know, increased ankle sprains as well. So knowing this type of biomechanic is what you need to focus on. Um, So there's been four deficits of female athletes that have been really uh, stressed in the literature, and this includes ligament dominance, and this can be either the ACL, once again, lateral ankle ligaments, this can, you know, anywhere in the body. Um, Particularly in the knee, you have this quadricep dominance as well as leg dominance and trunk dominance. So a lot of the exercises um, involve core strengthening because this overall helps increase trunk flexion angles. Uh, It can also increase vastus medialis to lateralis activation ratios, uh, your hamstring quadricep activation ratio, and overall will reduce your knee valgus and hip adduction angles. And, And all these play a role when an athlete is trying to jump or land or cut. In addition, we recommend plyometrics as being part of the rehabilitation protocol as well. And and this is where you can truly focus on jumping mechanics, landing mechanics, cutting mechanics. And, And this should be involved in that sport-specific program phase, um, really getting the athlete back to what they truly love so that they can be their best when they're back to full-time sports. And lastly, exercises should also focus on balance and proprioception. This is particularly important in the ankle realm, um, just to help reduce any chronic either mechanical or functional ankle instability that may result as a as a result of injury due to an ankle sprain or a cartilage injury, Um, this ultimately will help normalize aspirin input and improve overall neuromuscular responses, thereby preventing athletes from re-injury.
0: That's fantastic. Thanks. Can you now speak to the psychological considerations at work with respect to the female athlete during both recovery and rehabilitation?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a really critical area and one that as orthopedic sports medicine surgeons in general and really orthopedics as a whole, we have seen a huge increase in terms of focus and recognition and acknowledgement of how important this is and how it impacts our patients in their recovery, overall outcomes, and for our athletes in terms of their return to play. There are a lot of psychological factors that impact our patients, and there's some overlap between male and female patients in terms of how they experience this, but there are also important differences You know, there's psychological distress for our female patients. The changes in psychological distress that they experience are largely due to highs and lows of their daily progress throughout rehab whereas for our male patients they tend to be frustrated by physical limitations so it's important for us to understand the differences in that regard and then when we're talking about things like self-efficacy and locus of control for our female athletes it's really important to promote a positive sense of recovery after ACL reconstruction and also try to empower them to encourage an internal locus of control to give them a sense that they have Uh, control over what they're doing, that what they're doing makes a difference, that it's having an impact on their recovery and ultimately return to play. Uh, for our male patients, on the other hand, they actually are quite good at positive self-reflection and having a positive mindset. And then we translate that to what are some potential intervention strategies? And there are differences uh, between our male and female patients. For our male patients, with regards to psychological distress, what can be really beneficial for them is focusing on learning goals, rewarding effort, deemphasizing failure, uh, and things along those lines. And then when we're looking at, you know, trying to treat fear of re injury, incorporating graded exposure rehab and focusing on sports specific tasks is important for that group. And for our female patients, on the other hand, when we're looking at self efficacy, it's critical for us to integrate this positive reinforcement and self talk, encouraging them, telling them, you know, they're making great progress and that they should be telling themselves these things. And with regards to fear of re injury in our female athletes, they also benefit from graded exposure during their rehab but it should focus on general strength and conditioning and sport related activities so there are some differences and it's important to keep that in mind Um, and certainly For us as orthopedic sports medicine surgeons, like we're seeing our patients, you know, once every maybe four to six weeks, whereas our physical therapy um, colleagues are seeing them two to three times a week. And so that's a huge advantage and they have the opportunity to help our athletes um, navigate through the psychological component as well as the physical component. There was a um, a great article published in sports Health within the past five years that talks about a lot of different interventions that can be incorporated to try to address psychological factors and so I would encourage listeners to seek that out. It talks about Things related to, um, you know, positive self-talk, guided imagery, um, et cetera, and and all of those I think are relatively easy to incorporate. Goal setting, counseling, things along those lines that our athletes can really work on themselves if we just make them aware of it, uh, and it has a substantial, very significant impact on their overall outcome because we've seen it. We see it in our individual patients. We certainly see it written about broadly in the literature that. You know, physical therapy tends to focus on the physical component, you know, range of motion, strengthening, gait training, et cetera. Uh, but still, there's a large proportion of our athletes that don't get back to play, and that is mostly due to this um, psychological component. So it uh, is really important for us to recognize it, to try to identify these things in our athletes, and to help uh, implement interventions.
0: It's a wonderful segue into the next topic I want to discuss, which Involves this multidisciplinary team that we often refer to when caring for patients with musculoskeletal injuries. And for most of us, that usually means our surgery team and our support staff, our physical therapy team, perhaps a physician extender or an advanced practice provider or a certified athletic trainer, and perhaps from time to time, physical medicine and rehab or a pain management physician partner if the need arises. But for either of you, I was curious to know if on a regular basis, if you're actively engaging any mental health professionals such as a sports psychologist to address the issues we just discussed.
1: That's a great question and I would say not necessarily on a regular basis but when I feel it's indicated I will not hesitate to refer an athlete to a sports psychologist because I think it's so important. So the first step is absolutely identifying the risk factors. For us again we're not we're seeing the patients somewhat rarely you know like four to six weeks, but being in mm-hmm. frequent contact with our physical therapy counterparts is hugely helpful because they're seeing these athletes so often and can give us very helpful feedback, and if they're identifying something that they're concerned about, that can serve as an impetus for us to uh, refer the patients to a sports psychologist at that point. I think it's really important and very helpful to have a sports psychologist as part of your team when you're taking care of these athletes and. T- such that you have the ability to readily refer these patients when it's indicated.
0: So they often say that the best research generates more questions than it answers. And so I wanted to move on to that topic because after reading your article, I certainly learned a lot, but I also have many more questions now. So what do you think is currently the most important unanswered question with respect to the care of the female athlete particularly with respect to either injury prevention or rehabilitation? And what do you see as the most important next steps for advancement in this field?
2: I think this is a really important question, and uh, I think I might be a little bit biased being a foot and ankle surgeon, but I think in foot and ankle realm especially, there's a lack of understanding of the differences in, in mechanisms of injury as well as overall outcomes between male and female athletes. Um, and honestly, I think that we need to dive deeper into evaluating these hormonal fluctuations that females tend to have and and see how that really affects the athlete, especially when it comes to foot and ankle injuries, because, you know, the various biomechanics, Structural hormonal differences that are at the level of the ankle may, in fact, contribute to a lot of the differences that are found in the more proximal injuries, whether it be at the hip or at the knee, um, you know, just as due to uh, overall alignment differences. Um, in addition, you know, we've done a lot of work in the knee, but there may be overall differences in chondral health and regenerative potential. In addition, these differences may affect overall chondral health and regenerative potential. And therefore, I think further research into this topic is really necessary in order to better prepare our athletes to return to sport.
1: So uh, I think that's fantastic. I agree completely with Ariana but that there's definitely a need for additional work, especially with regards to foot and ankle injuries. I mean, certainly what we know the most about now are, are in terms of female athletes and the risk of ACL tears. Um, I think continuing to do research with you know, regards to shoulder instability, hip injuries, et cetera. Like there's definitely, there's been some good work done, but I think that we can continue to do research in those areas to really get an understanding of the sex specific differences in terms of overall injury patterns the appropriate surgical intervention, and then also differences in post-op rehab and what to expect in terms of outcomes.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful. What is the most important concept for us to understand with respect to the care and rehabilitation of the female athlete so that we can best facilitate a safe return to sport?
2: Understanding that there are differences in the types of injuries male and female athletes sustain and that tailoring rehabilitation is critical in order to successfully return female athletes back to sports efficiently, but more importantly, prevent further injury.
0: Wonderful. Doctors Janakos and Mulcahy, I want to congratulate you and your co-authors again on this very important work, and thank you for sharing your time and your thoughts with us today.
1: Great. Thank you, Chris, so much for this opportunity. We really appreciate it. Uh, It's been fantastic discussing these details with you, and we hope this uh, stimulates more interest and and encourages people to just review the literature and continue doing studies in this area.
0: Drs. Janakos and Mulcahy's article titled Rehabilitation and Return to Sport of Female Athletes can be found in the January 2022 issue of the Arthroscopy Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation Journal, which is available online. At www.arthroscopy sports medicine and rehabilitation.org this concludes this edition of the arthroscopy journal podcast the views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the arthroscopy association or the arthroscopy journal thank you for listening please join us again next time